It felt like my head was spinning, and the words Mary spoke were just confetti in the wind. I need an exit plan. So I'm continuing to record and post my life, or at least the parts that explain and describe this crazy world we live in. Last time, I trawled back through a couple of months' worth of journals to piece together my story on the eve of my probable death. I've changed the way I'm doing things, uh, or is it that I'm establishing what I'm doing? Look, anyway, I'm now collecting my journals every week or few days, whenever I get the chance, really and posting them. I've decided to continue my original method. I record as much as possible direct to cloud storage, and after a week, a script looks in various places and and posts whatever it finds out to encrypted locations via an onion network. I've got a guy or a girl, I don't know anything about them except the screen name, and they package and release my journals as a podcast. The one you listen to now, oddly enough. Today, they've taken a couple liberties with the packaging. They've put some graphics on the front, a bit of theme music, a bit of editing to make the story a bit more interesting, I suppose. But look, the point is that the story gets out there. We caught a glimpse of the... what are we calling it? Them? Gnomes? Yeah. For lack of a better term, and for our inability to reliably pronounce the Romanian name, we're calling them gnomes. Or maybe goblin would be better. As I can't help but think of something cute and homely when I say gnome. No? Look, we saw one and we know there are others. It just now ran off down an old service tunnel. Turns out this train yard extends underground to some extent. We don't know how far. I wouldn't have thought very far since the train line itself is above ground. Oh, oh crap! You guys okay? Gremlins, or gnome spirits, as David Geldstein, our esteemed and long-dead author, called them, supposedly work for the Zane, or a Zane? I think these Zane are guardian nature spirits of some kind, usually good, or something that at least approximates to that. Exit Plan Security that's exitplansecurity.com, was contacted initially through email to perform a security audit of a construction site in Sydney. Several workplace accidents had occurred and the project manager suspected sabotage. I didn't know what made her contact us rather than an established security and risk management firm. It became a bit clearer when I entered her office to talk to her. The construction site was a disused retired train yard in Redfern, a central suburb of Sydney, with a colourful history, including a recent riot. Apparently, an Aboriginal kid was riding his bike to get away from the police when he crashed and became impaled on a fence. Nasty business that highlighted the indifference and low social status of our Indigenous population. I could say more, but I think they said what was needed by rioting. Anyway, the construction site is just next to the old Everly Rail Workshop, which is now commercial offices and a museum. The rail yards themselves are 
lower than the surrounding land, so construction has just sunk piers and is being built over the top. The office I went to was a temporary donger, or demountable, as they're called over east. I've arrived at the yard site bright and early, but there's no construction going on today. There's temporary fencing and boards around the site, more just to let people know they shouldn't be in there than to actually keep them out. I've just pulled a post aside and stepped in. The place has the look of an archaeological site, as if the remains of a building or massive concrete dinosaur were being revealed by pulling aside rubble. The floor is down over most of the site. I'm actually not sure that's the right term, but it's a, a big set of concrete slabs sitting on a frame of steel and concrete suspended over the rail tracks. There's enough room under the slabs for a person to easily walk. I imagine they'll use that as service ducts for pipes and cables and frightening monster chase scenes in movies yet to be made. Ah, there's the office. A bit of a giveaway, since there's a big yellow and black sign that says Site Office. Hello? Uh, hi. I do want to let you know I'm recording. Is that okay? Well, that was an interesting two hours. It wasn't okay to record. That's cool. Not many people are down with it, so I always make sure it's okay before they start talking. Like, um, what can I say about Helena? That's the project manager's name. The office looked like a normal site office, or what I imagine one would look like. There were some filing cabinets, I know, right? In this day and age? Apparently construction still deals with a lot of paper. Invoices, work orders, material safety data sheets, procedure manuals and printed plans even. So, grey cabinets, a desk with computer, coffee mug, water bottle, maps and diagrams posted on the walls and so on. But Helena, a Greek woman by the look of her, was... And the name's a bit of a giveaway too, hey? Anyway, she was looking a bit frazzled. Her wavy black shoulder-length hair was a confusion of classic proportion and the dark circles under her eyes showed she hadn't slept much lately. I got the feeling she was usually very organised and precise, but was not doing so well just now. When she spoke, she started out rather formulaic, like going through a ritual greeting and set of pleasantries she had done many times. It was clear she was trying to retain some level of control over a situation rapidly moving beyond. So I cut her off to help her out. Hi, I'm from Exoplan Security. You contracted us to perform a security audit of your site. That's my um, superhero voice I use when I talk sometimes. I don't really. Yes, it has recently come to my attention that some of the accidents and setbacks on this site may be due to sabotage. And I'm not even going to bother impersonating this time. So that was just me kind of talking a slightly higher pitch. But not really trying to do too much. Ah yes sir, understood. But Exaplan specialises in uh, abnormal and paranormal security issues. So what's up? So I figured I'd just cut to the chase since Helena seemed to be having a bit of trouble. And I thought if I went deep up front it would relieve some of the tension she was feeling. I was right. She watched me for a moment, perhaps waiting to see if I was joking or trying to make fun of her. Then she sighed and sank back into her chair in obvious relief. She told me to shift the junk off the other chair and sit. 
Then she made me coffee, just instant, unfortunately, but it was a kindness and consideration I thanked her for. We sat a moment longer in silence. She seemed to be thinking of how to continue. Then she abruptly turned to her computer and tapped away, opening a file. And a video played. It appeared to be footage from a security camera set to watch an area near the perimeter of the site. At the bottom of the screen, I could see old rusted train tracks over a bit of rough blue metal clogged with lumps of greasy dirt. Light spilled over the scene from behind the camera. Sharp line shadows cut the light into rectangular sections, presumably from the columns that ran from the sunk piers through the suspended slab and up into the superstructure of the floors slowly taking shape above. The camera wobbled a moment, it wobbled again, and the video turned off. In analog days, the video would have gone to static, but in this case, the video just ended. Helena tapped the keyboard again, and another video played. The view was similar to the first. This time, the view was inward, toward the temporary elevators. To the left of the elevator box was a refrigerator-sized metal container with a handle and a number of lights. I guessed it was a power junction, or whatever they're called. So, like the fuse box on the outside of a house, only at an industrial scale. The timestamp at the bottom of the video showed that it was about the same time as the first video. The camera wobbled, wobbled again. There was a split second of movement near the oversized fuse box. Then a dark shape moved over the camera and it cut out. What happened? I asked. I'll show you. Helena scrubbed back through the last video to the first wobble. The camera wobbled the second time and Helena hit pause. I studied the screen. I knew she'd paused for me to see something. She wasn't being very communicative. I'm not surprised. She'd seen something that had thrown her and was struggling to come to terms. Heck, she'd called in a security firm that specialised in the unusual and paranormal. People don't do that unless they've had their worldview drop kicked into the stands. It took me a while. Finally, I saw it. And it was one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. In the shadow, thrown by the power box, there was a distinct shape visible only from the red and green glow from the small indicator lights on the box. It was a face, but it was much lower than you'd expect from a person. It was far too human to be a cat, but too inhuman to be a human. The creature would have stood at most 800 to 900 millimeters high, say around three or so feet for the metrically challenged, but it was possible it was stooped over. The eyes were large, too large. The nose was long and hooked down over a dark shadow where the mouth would be. It had no visible eyebrows or hair, but the rest of the body was in darkness. Once I'd gasped and reacted to Helena's satisfaction, she advanced the video in slow motion. The figure in the shadow moved in closer to the breaker box. I'll call it a break box, I think. And it turned to look at the camera. That's when Helena paused and advanced frame by frame. The video player was specifically for analyzing security footage and so came with all sorts of clever features like frame by frame advance, still capture and various color manipulation filters to clear up images. She advanced until suddenly something was in front of the camera. This was the dark shape I saw just before the video ended. She upped the brightness and contrast. The shape resolved into a hand. A hand with six 
long, multi-articulate fingers. She left the image on the screen as I examined it. The first two fingers had an extra joint on each. These hands would be extremely dexterous and able to bend in ways a human hand just couldn't. That was the last frame in the series. Helena turned back to face me with her eyebrows raised and waited. Wow, that is quite something, isn't it? In May 1820, just east of Cluj-Napoca, there's a city in Romania, which was then the Principality of Transylvania. Yeah, I know, spooky, right? There was a series of catastrophic failures of some steam pumps that were part of an iron mine. The locals had a name for the creatures responsible, but I have trouble with that name. The common translation is gnome. Obviously, not the garden variety, as it were. More like what we'd call a gremlin if we were aviators. These little buggers are very handy with technology. You've no doubt heard of the fairy tales about gnomes, cobbling shoes and so forth. Well, they're a bit too alien for me humans to comprehend, but sometimes they appear to be good and helpful. They will lead children out of forests or frighten off wolves, but they'll also lead children astray in forests or sabotage technology. This is the sabotaging variety. Why they're doing it is a bit harder to know. It brings back the passage in The Great Journey I read. That's the book by Florence Jules. It's all trippy and likes to reference silver light and the moon. The passage talked about a river that was under and of everything. It spoke of fishermen casting their line in and about how the river changed course despite the best efforts of the fishermen to kick rubble in and block the change. Given the relevance of the part in the book about tigers and monkeys to my battle with a Rakshasa, I'm willing to take this both literally and figuratively. Helena opened up a bit more after that, and we've got a contract. Ostensibly, it is a security audit we are doing, investigating the sabotage and putting in place policy to prevent further attacks. She's serious about us doing our work, and she accepted our rates without blinking. Makes me think I should have asked for more. But really, we're getting stacks. In particular, we have a daily expense account for equipment, food, and so on. And that's on top of our pay. So, you know, that's nice. I briefed Tony and John. That's Tony Maroney of Tony Maroney Menswear and Formal Hire and John Tran, formerly of Zurich Security, at our apartment in Sydney. We booked it directly with the owner online on one of those accommodation matchmaking sites. It's just much better value than a bunch of hotel rooms. We decided... Ah, uh, look. I've got to get that stuff in order. You'll have to wait. Oh, I spoke with project manager Helena today. She showed me his fantastic video that captured gnomes. Gnomes? <gasps> Not the garden variety, I expect. Good one, Tony. Guys, I've already made that joke. It doesn't count if we didn't hear it. If a joke is told in a forest and there's no one to hear it... I said, look, anyway, the video was down under the slab at the base of the lift. Uh, the lift was found inoperative the next morning. There was at least one, probably two of them. So what do we do? How do we deal with gnomes? Like it isn't as though we're just going to let off a roach bomb and gas them all, is it? I don't know, um... What do we do? 
You seem unsure if you're up to the task. Stop thinking and start doing. Okay, we don't try to kill them. We try talking with them. Maybe do them a service or offer a gift. The downside is they might want a firstborn child or ten years of life or something terrible as a gift. But we won't know unless we try. They can come and sew clothes for me if that's their thing. Right. So what is the best time and where is the best location? And what do we take and do in case they don't want to talk? They've sabotaged a lift, crane and generator so far. The crane failure killed someone. And the generator exploded putting another two guys in hospital. The lift just didn't start up in the morning. But all three items were ground level below the slab. The underspace will largely be sealed off, except for the space immediately around the base of the central services shaft, which will become maintenance rooms and storage. Most of the space down there will just be left open until someone comes up with something to do with it. I think I think we should head down there and stake out the new aircon heating machinery that's being stored there before being moved up later this week. <sighs> and how long do we do that for before we give up? The machinery is new. And once it's installed, they can seal up the lower floors and get them ready as display units. If they aren't sabotaged, the tower is more or less a done deal, short of something terrible happening. Like a collapse or something. We'll hide behind three false walls. When the little critters show up, we jump out and confront them. The simple act of confrontation should make them talk. That's in one of your books? Yeah, yeah, David Geldstein, he tried to confront one at a mine in Transylvania. He indicated that gnomes, like many fairies, operate according to an odd set of rules. One of those rules is that they must not be seen by humans. If they are, they must parlay. Sometimes they offer a riddle that you have to solve, uh, and then they'll perform you some sort of favour, or they'll offer a trade, or they'll stop doing you a favour. They all seem kind of a bit arbitrary at that point, but they all stem from the gnome being confronted. And if that doesn't work, do you have some way to capture or drive them off? Uh, wrought iron, salt, or knowing their true name will do the trick. I think there's also some spells that will affect fairies, binding them. And there's some kind of potion or similar in the script book, but... I'm a bit hesitant to use spells or random, unknown potions. We just don't know enough about these things to use them safely. Mmm, I'm not comfortable beating a gnome to death with a fire iron. So maybe we take some salt with us and, what, sprinkle it on them? Toss it over our shoulder? Well, you tell me, Tony. You're the one from the superstitious family. Sure. Nonna was a witch and I'm so chock full of her age-old wisdom. Well, I'm pretty sure she'd say something like, Offer it the two of them. They like it. She'd also say, If they are like spirits, then you can take a barrier with a salt. Oh, that sounds right. So we go to the basement, hide behind some false walls, and watch the aircon to see if the gnomes come out. If they do, we confront them and offer them salt to get them to talk or force them to leave. If they refuse and get antsy, we make a barrier of salt around them. I'm also taking this bit of iron rebar I picked up at the site, just in case. Hey, I want some rebar too. I just grabbed some on site. There's a huge pile of the stuff. We sat watching that aircon all night and nothing happened. 
I read more of The Great Journey to see if there was some hint as to how we could entice the gnomes out, but I couldn't make head or tail of what I was reading. I've had some thoughts on it in hindsight, and more on that later. Look, after four days of staking out various bits of interesting technology in the basement, we had a stroke of luck. Well, good luck for the case we were working, not as good luck for John. While we waited, I did some research in a Redfern, especially the train station. In 1894, there was a rail collision that killed a whole bunch of people. Supposedly, a train took off from the station, ignoring a stop signal. One guy interviewed claimed the signal went green, and so the train went. In the 1960s, a new mail sorting machine was put into the Redfern Mail Exchange, but it kept fritzing out, destroying letters. With a stroke of the dramatic, it was named the Redfern Mangala. With a name like that, I was expecting something a, a bit more terrifying than a mail shredder. So these gnome or gremlin things, they may have been sticking their hands where they weren't wanted for quite some time. We caught a glimpse of the, what are we calling it, them, gnomes, yeah, for lack of a better term and for our inability to reliably pronounce the Romanian name, we're calling them gnomes, or maybe goblin would be better as, I can't help but think of something cute and homely when I say gnome, no, look, we saw one and we know there are others, just now ran off down an old service tunnel. Turns out this train yard extends underground to some extent. We don't know how far. I wouldn't have thought very far since the train line itself is above ground. Oh, oh crap! You guys okay? <coughs> yep. uh, back up a bit. Around here, uh, out of the... <coughs> out of the dust. So, part of the wall or, or roof collapsed. Oh, we'll ride on a tail. I thought you said it would stop and talk if we confronted it. Yeah, but it's a, a gnome. I, what, what do I know? Perhaps Aussie gnomes are more egalitarian in outlook and so don't recognise our authority. Did you see its fangs? It had some scary looking teeth in its head. I'm feeling a little bit better about bringing that rebar now. Well, you two circle around, Tony. You go that way, John. You take that way. I'll use salt to close off these other exits, and um, and now I'll, I'll chase the little bugger back here. We'll trap it in this room. Assuming salt works. I'm alone in a room with a ladder leading up to ground level. There's three passages... There's three passages leaving here, not quite a junction. The ladder is offset a bit, and the room it is in is small and cramped. I'm marking two of the passages, and the base of the ladder with salt, and I'll... Uh, I guess I'll hide myself by pressing myself against this wall. Got him. Oh, okay, this Come is it. coming. Uh, <clears throat> we want to talk. Um, please, can you stop breaking things? I think it's listening. 
<clears throat> the stream changes course regardless of your actions. You're trying to delay the inevitable. You're wasting your effort and time. Keep it going. Um, okay, um... I've chosen to leap in and bathe in the waters that change. They can't be denied. What used to be here won't be here for long. It will be something new, and you're hurting people. Trade. What did it say? I think it's a trade. We fix it. Oh God, the um, the gnome is is coming up to us. Oh, he's bent double like an old man. It looks like he should be on all fours, but he isn't. He's carefully keeping his weird six-fingered double-knuckled hand in close to his chest. He's watching us pretty carefully. One, he's probably wondering why I'm talking to myself. We want a kiss. We, we need that from you. Uh, you want me to kiss you? Uh, okay. No. From him. Oh dear, it's looking directly at John. Uh, he did carefully consider both Tony and John, but... Hey, back up, Rumpelstiltskin. Tony, it's okay. Sure. But what do you mean, we? It means me. And me. Crap, another one just stepped out of the shadows. Well, something else is coming to it's, it's bigger. And me. Holy crap, the new one is... Well, he's the most beautiful man I've ever seen. He's about as tall as me, he's got wavy blonde hair, combed over to one side and hanging to his ear. Straight as I am, I'd think about kissing him myself, actually. Whew. Nope. 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 Not in a million years. Ain't no deal. Tone, be cool. It's a fairy trick. A trap. You'll kiss him and become enchanted or turn into a frog or something terrible. Kiss now. It's over. Tower falls. The stream will stay its course for another day, bather. What should I do? Uh, you should... Uh, do what you think is best. You, you can't second-guess the motives of... gnomes. They don't see things like we do and... don't think with the same logic. This, this situation is one for us... And another for them. I mean, who knows? Come here, then. <laughs> okay, so John is crouching down, planting a kiss on each of the little gnomes. He's looking hesitant to kiss Prince Charming, though. Oh, just kiss him! If you turn into a frog, I'll keep you in an aquarium and feed you flies. The gnomes look at each other. Oh, now they're stepping back in the darkness, and they're gone. John? John? I'm fine. They're gone. We did it. Helena listened to our report and we played back the journal you just heard. She sat there with a blank face, not reacting. Then she sat back and breathed out a long sigh. She signed off our invoice and put the pay order through right then and there. She thanked us and showed us the door. That's all she did and said. 
So we're back in sunny Perth. John seems a little quiet about what happened and Tony's worried. So far, so good. Oh, and we're recruiting. Tony pointed out that we don't have anyone getting new clients while we're all off kissing trolls. His words, not mine. Or if someone stays behind to do admin and get clients, then the other two will need backup. To help kiss trolls, I assume. I've got no clue what sort of person we need, but we're taking resumes. Hiring someone to hunt monsters is not something I ever thought I'd be up to, but here we are. How do you recruit for exit plan security? What sort of job description do you put together so people know what they're getting involved in? We didn't know exactly what we wanted at first. So we thought it over and talked about it, decided we needed someone to support us so they didn't personally have to know or do anything particularly supernatural. So here's the job ad we put out. Position. Organization administrator. Description. Exit plan security is a security consultancy that works in a highly specialized segment. We are looking for an administrator who is happy to work independently and who is a great communicator. You would be able to organize travel, procurement, invoicing, and provide various communication and research services. You will report directly to the partners. Duties. File government forms. Organize training. Invoicing and account management. Equipment and service procurement. Research and knowledge collation. Other administrative functions as reasonably required. So, not the greatest job ad in the world, but I I think it got across the generalist nature of the position. We're looking for someone to take care of everything uh, that, that wasn't sort of around actually performing security work. Hiring another security consultant will be a whole different thing, and we're really unsure of how to do that. We're a little conscious of the need for some discretion. We don't know who or what else may be paying attention to us. Let us not forget the person wrapped from head to toe who killed the Maroi I saw, nor the fact the books were delivered back to me after I had tried to sell them. I mean, I did sell them. I got money for it. That's pretty good. But I donated all the money, so zero sum there. Now, I mean, Shilpa hired me and tried to eat me because of what I knew. Look, here are some job interviews. Can you tell me a little about your career to date? I've been a stay-at-home mum for the last five years, and before that I worked in a deli in Como. Can you tell me a little about your career to date? I moved here from New Zealand about three years ago. While here, I've been working part-time at a law firm, cataloguing and organising case files, travel and hotels for the partners, that sort of thing. Uh, what do you see as your greatest strength? And what could you bring to this role? I'm good at time management and data cataloging. In my spare time, I maintain a website that sorts and organises news articles about dog trials. My diet breeds Kelpies, so I've always helped with that. Can you tell me a little about your career to date? I worked as an account manager and administrative assistant at McCulloch Children's Hospital. Prior to that, I was a student at McKinley University, where I studied history and archaeology. What made you consider this role? 
It was the research and knowledge collation duty in the job description more than anything else. I enjoy organising paperwork as much as a person can enjoy it, but I have a deep, abiding love of knowledge. Performing background checks, researching clients and places. You did mention the partners travel for work. It's something I really enjoy. The chance to discover something interesting and then associate it with other pieces of information and share it with other people is something I love to do. At the hospital, I got the chance to learn about treatments, drugs and operations and then present them to the specialists. I also had to organise the travel of the specialists and book training and research and procure new equipment. What sort of growth do you see for yourself in the future? I don't know if your company currently has a research library, but I would love to move into a researcher position where I do more knowledge acquisition and retention duties. So, like organise and attend training, collate and create documentation about the topics and build up a library of specialist knowledge. I think the security industry would present interesting and unique opportunities. Oh, it wasn't hard. The first woman was eager and being a mum for five years would have given her some organisation planning skills. But the truth is, I was hesitant to hire someone who had a young child depending on them. I don't expect the position to be dangerous, but still, the kid deserves to have a mum who, who doesn't run the risk of being exposed to the, the sorts of things I have. The second guy, he was a real contender. A clear admin nerd with an interest in organisation. But then along came number three. She immediately presented as a no-nonsense librarian, passionate about the gathering, organising and cataloguing of information. And she'd made sure other people did the same. That's pretty much what we wanted. Someone to organise things and in time create a library. We can't rely on my five books for all of our knowledge. There are hints in the books about the wider picture, and if we don't start viewing that picture, we're going to come to a bad end. Okay, so this is all well and good, but you're wondering what all of this recruitment talk has to do with the price of eggs in China. Check this journal out. It was our last interview yesterday. So, uh, what attracted you to apply to Exit Plan Security? Uh, it was a combination of things. I read your job ad and I thought, I could do that. Then I read your website and I got mm, a little worried that I'd be getting into something more than that I can handle. But I knew I had to apply. I had to apply? It was B who encouraged me. Who said you had to apply? Uh, no one really. My friend B said the job would be good for me. Beatrice? Beatrice Likefield? I don't know her last name, actually. I met her and her boyfriend while I was down looking for jobs in Maria Anstey, using the free Wi-Fi. Although, actually, I'm a bit concerned about the security work you do. I wouldn't actually be doing any of that, would I? No, no, not at all. No. Oh, good. Did you hear that? What was up with him, other than his accent? I mean, that wasn't right. Do you think it was Beatrice? What game is she playing? Who was a boyfriend? Jealous much? Uh, it could have been the demon she's been trying to banish. Do you really believe that's the case? Wouldn't surprise me to find out she was a demon. She looks like a goddess. I don't think it's natural. 
Look, it must have been B. She's continuing her long game. She knows something about Heidi, and now she's letting us know. She's still out there, waiting for us to come for her. It's a trap. Nice one. Nice one. But seriously, if she's dangling herself in front of you, then it's because she wants you to look for her. And in doing so, she'll get you to do something for her. Like what? No. I know, it could be anything. But if there's a chance Heidi's alive and being held captive by B, then I have to do something. I'll be doing what B wants, furthering her goals in some way, but what's my other choice? Abandon Heidi? I screwed her over and it cuts me up to think about it. I keep looking through the grimoire, staring at the spells and wonder if it would be worth using them if it got Heidi back to be with her family and friends again. Do you think there's a chance that Beatrice is not trying to fight the demon, like she said, but she is working with it, or is the demon? I don't know. I got the feeling demons are pretty powerful things. If she was possessed, I would have expected her to be more... demon-y. Wouldn't you? So was this last interviewee sent by Beatrice? And what was up with her voice? Let's stake out Maria Antony and find out. I'm... I'm concerned that she's roped in another sucker. Sure, and she isn't the most beautiful creature this side of the known Prince Charming. You think she might be a fairy or something? I don't know. Maybe you could try kissing her and compare. Tone, I saved the day with my sacrifice. I had to kiss those other two as well. I'm still suspicious of that gnome. What did they get out of the deal? Guys, we're talking about the beautiful creature I kissed, not the one John did. Tony... You'll get your chance to kiss an otherworldly hottie soon enough. So, we watch a coffee shop in the hopes of seeing Beatrice. We follow her home, or something. Oh yeah, I guess we need to find some clues as to where she is, or how to find her. If that means watching a coffee shop for a while, then that's what we'll do. I suspect the easiest thing would be to set up a camera or two and record during business hours. I doubt she'd just be hanging around at night. Stream the video to the cloud, and use some video analysis software to catalogue and categorise to pull out clips of interest. That sounds a bit science fiction to me. Can we really do that? Sure. We don't have the time to train a system to recognise B personally, but we should be able to at least filter out all the time no one is entering or leaving the shop without having to personally sit and watch it. I mean, if we have eight hours of footage a day, it would take us most of the day to speed through and slow down when people came in and out. But... There are online services that will easily pick up video events like people coming and going. They will cut the clips down to just what we want to watch. Then over a week or so we should know if B is visiting the cafe and when she's most likely to be there. Wow. Well, I know some good cameras we can use. I have some I use in the shop. Proper high-def ones. Small. Easy to hide. Yeah, sure, sure. We'll have to camouflage them so the cops aren't called. They either have to be obvious and look like they belong for some good reason, or they have to not look like electronic devices stuck conspicuously to a wall. That sort of thing gets the bomb squad called in. We hired Mary Constance Wolchek. She used to work at McCulloch Children's Hospital, like Heidi, but she says she never personally knew her beyond knowing there was a nurse in emergency of that name. Mary worked in records and administration for the various specialists like oncologists and neuro-specialists. Anyway, 
the first thing we've got her working on is organising self-defence and combat training for us. Well, mostly Tony and me because we are clueless. John is pretty well certified from his time at Zurich Security and he has a pretty obvious advantage in his towering, muscle-bound, heroic stature. We've also got her filing the paperwork for and procuring armour and weapons. We aren't going full-on bulletproof military vests and stuff, but rather there are specialist knife-proof and impact-proof armour. Kind of a mix of Kevlar chain, ceramic plate, nylon pads, like high-tech looking motorcycle armour. It's stuff used by special police forces in Israel and the UK for street enforcement and what they call urban breaching, which sounds a bit like childbirth in the hood. But really it means kicking indoors and smashing through windows. I figure we're more likely to encounter sharp claws and heavy blunt blows than bullets. Weapons-wise, we're talking about tasers, pepper spray and telescoping batons. We need certified training in those before we are legally allowed to carry them. We're also only allowed to carry them while actually on duty. But, personally, I'll be toting my zapper most of the time. I feel I won't ever know when I might need a bit of help. I'm also thinking of making or buying some brass knuckles. You can't legally get them, but I've punched someone once and it hurt me almost as much as it hurt them. I've seen the hands of MMA fighters, and boy, they are messed up. Besides, if I ever come across a Rougarou or Ghoul, I want something a little better than my bare knuckles. We're reviewing footage from the Café Maria Anthony. We haven't found anything yet, but B wants me to find her, so it's just a matter of time. I think it might be over. Already. So soon. Exit plan had just gotten going. Tony. Well, well, John is saying he's done with this work and I don't blame him. We knew it would be dangerous, but uh, I guess we all believed it would be okay. We were the heroes of this story. So nothing would happen but, but Tony. Uh, look, I'll, I'll just play the journals. I'm not sure what else I could say now. New job, boys! Could you be any more gay? Oh, hold on. Let me do a flourish and say, Oh my. That is pretty much the gayest thing I've seen. And I've been to a gay orgy. What? When? Was that before you met me? Guys, we can talk about the gay orgies later. Or maybe you can keep those details to yourself. They sound a bit personal. But what sort of job is it? The best sort. Don't go there. I was going to say a paying job. That's the best sort. I took a call from Imperial Iron. They're having trouble on their new site. The union has called a stop to work until a little mystery is solved. They're paying us our usual fee. Plus, I threw in a little extra danger pay and away from home allowance and equipment expense. They're buying us our armor. Which we'll probably need on this one, girls. Okay. Uh, what's the score? Here. Read for yourself. Hmm... Oh, gee, that's a bit rough. So, the last security consultants lost someone. 
beaten, chewed on, and drowned. I'm not sure our armor covers us for that. Or did you order the Tony Stark special? But seriously, we need to go into this with our heads screwed on. So about two weeks ago, the workers started putting together the mining camp. They heard unexplained noises, including animal growls and the sounds of someone moving around amongst the tools and stores. One worker says they were confronted by someone and was knocked down, but his friends chased off whoever attacked him. Tracy, the union rep, announced they would down tools and not return until the site was secured. Fair enough, I think. The workers are there to build a camp, not engage in cage matches with unknown assailants. Let's see... Uh, blah, blah, blah... Star One Security was called in to secure the site. Uh, they put up a fence and went about making the site secure. Surely there was already fencing and security. They had a couple of guards, one on the evening shift and the other who manned the booth on the road leading into the camp. There's just no one that far out to guard against. Uh, and they left with the workers. They were security workers, but not that kind of security. Star One are security contractors. A bit more like us. Sort of private police, though, where we're investigators. So the guy Star One lost, last reported she was checking out a noise behind a demountable. She was found about a kilometre away in a nearby creek. Chewed, beaten, before being drowned. Only chewed, not eaten. Apparently her teammates arrived pretty quickly on the scene, and they think they chased off whatever it was. I've already contacted the local rangers, and they say there are definitely no crocodiles that far inland, and really that far south in any event. The creek is freshwater and dries up by the end of the dry season. Well, unfortunately, my books don't cover Australia or Australian methods. Method? Yeah, like mythological critters. Like, if cryptid is Bigfoot, then a werewolf would be a method. Could it be a werewolf? Well, the only information I have about werewolves indicates they tend to prey on friends and family. They also tend to be grisly and gruesome killers. I strongly suspect that if we ever come across a werewolf, we'll know it when we see it. It isn't a ghoul or rakshasa, and isn't a gnome or maroi. That covers off everything we've personally dealt with. But John, you came across something at a mine camp once before. Yeah, that was a few years ago. I don't know what it was, but the best description was it was kind of like a wookie. Tall, covered in fur, had sharp canines and incisors, but I didn't get the feeling it was so savage. Scary, yeah, for sure. But I just hit it and kicked it and ran away. This thing has attacked two people. One of them was a trained security specialist, so you can bet they didn't go down easily. The only reason the first guy wasn't mauled was because his mates all turned up in time. We'll have to take everything, including the kitchen sink, up with us. Holy symbols, silver, oak stakes, iron, the works. I can't believe we pushed ahead with that job. But I guess it was what we made Exit Plan for. To learn more about the world, the real world, and to protect people. Mary warned us against going, you know, without knowing what to expect, but... I've taken first watch. In a couple of hours, Tony will join me. 
And then a couple of hours after that, I'll go to bed and John will replace me. We figure the first couple of hours should be okay with me by myself. I'll just prattle to myself for the record. We got here yesterday after a day and a half of driving northeast from Perth. We are pretty much as in the middle of nowhere as it is possible to be without being in the middle of the Pacific in a raft. We decided to drive rather than trying to get all our equipment on and off a plane. John brought his gun. Tony and I still aren't certified yet for armed security work. That's the next certificate we're working on. Mary was very helpful in getting our gear together. She ordered the armour and got it through customs and delivered inside of a week. I feel a bit like a science fiction post-apocalyptic warrior with my plastic pads and plates over grey mesh and dark blue Kevlar. We had a test of one set by putting it on a dummy and stabbing and slashing it with a machete. It stood up well to the punishment without tearing or cutting. I then put the suit on and the guys, gently at first, started hitting me with a baton. Taking the hits on the nylon pads worked a treat. Even when John whacked me across the back as hard as he could, all that happened was I staggered forward and coughed to regain my breath. I'm pretty sure that without that armour, I've had a shattered spine, but the interlocking plates down the back and across the ribs did their job and locked together, spreading the force of the impact. I reckon whatever mauled the Star One guard will still be able to drown me, but at least I'll have trouble gnawing on me and the beating shouldn't be too bad. Hmm. When I say it like that, I think maybe this isn't the greatest idea on the planet. Still, they are paying very well, and I have a GPS panic button. It's one of those things you might give to your elderly relative who has a tendency of wandering off and being eaten by vampires. Oh, basically, if my heart rate suddenly jumps up or drops down or the unit suffers a sudden acceleration deceleration event, an alarm goes off and my signal is picked up by a unit sitting next to Tony and John. They'll come running if anything happens to me that I can't handle. I also have a panic button I can press to call for help. If none of that works, they'll know where to click my corpse from, which is nice. What? What was that? I, I thought I heard something. No, nothing. Wow. Something made the sound, but we're out in the middle of the wilderness, so there's bound to be emus, wombats, stuff scratching around. <laughs> oh, no, it's just a cat. Then pounce, rawr! It's all over for the fool who thought it was just a cat. Actually, I'm just going to turn my night vision camera on and have a bit of a look around. We don't have night vision goggles yet. They're pricey for the good ones, and we couldn't get both the armour and the goggles this time around. The armour is probably the better bet but I do have a little IR camera plugged into my phone. It only sees about 30 meters out with the infrared LEDs it comes with, but I'll pick up near IR from other objects too, though they have to be pretty hot to show up. <clears throat> oh, there we go. Let's see. Uh, no, I can't see anything. Oh wait, there's some eyes. Looks like, uh, what? Is that a bilby or a numbat? Some sort of marsupial rat? Well, I'm not a zoologist. But it's small and it looks like it prefers to eat even smaller critters. I've done a couple circuits of the camp and found nothing. We've already gone over the place in the daylight, but yeah, we couldn't find much then either. 
This night patrol was just a hunch that we're facing something nocturnal. But if we don't find anything in a week, we've been told construction will continue ahead with new workers. And Pierre Lyon is working out a deal with danger pay or something. What was that? That was much bigger than the bilby I saw. Where's the bloody panic button? It's too hard to find when I'm in a panic. Is that you there? Crap, Tone. I thought you were, well, you know. Nope, not yet. I think it's only a matter of time before one of us is turned into a vampire or werewolf, but not yet. What? What do you mean? Oh, silly. That's how these things work, don't you know? A brave monster hunter gets turned into a monster, and so his friends have to decide what to do. You know, dramatic tension. This is going out to the masses as a dramatic podcast, isn't it? It's supposed to be more documentary than drama. Oh, that's a shame. I'd make a great character. Full of whimsy, but deep. The only problem is no one can see the purple tips you've got in your hair and they can't see the way you've styled your combat armour. The style comes across in the voice and tone. I bet it does. Have you found anything? No. Some nocturnal marsupial action, but that's all. This spot here is where the guard was attacked. I imagine the attacker came from around the corner like you did. That would only be a couple of metres to cover. You wouldn't even have to be a supernatural monster to manage that. Unless it didn't come from the corner. This guard was well trained and would have been well aware of the shortest paths of attack. Yes, I remember my training too. So the guard would have been keeping an eye on the corner. Unlike me. The crunch of this gravel would have alerted them to something sneaking up from that way. Then, where did the monster come from? The roof? Or those trees? Oh, the trees seem to be far away. That's got to be like 10 metres. I reckon I could pull my taser and fire in that time and took someone across that. I'll go over there and come at you. See what it's like in the dark. That doesn't sound like a good idea to me. We should wait until the daytime and John has backup. What? No, I'll be fine. I don't need John protecting me all the time. I was worried about me, you goose. I'll just go back here. Okay. I... I can't see you now. Um... Any time now, Tony? Tony, are you coming or what? This is becoming less funny every passing second. Tony? Not so quick with the taser there, big man. Ah, oh, out time. This armor is too expensive to crap my dax in. Point taken. With a bit of surprise and speed, something could easily cover that distance before a scared silly guard could react. <laughs> Tony! Eat this! happened? Tony!
The good news was that John found the attacker not far away, bleeding profusely from multiple contusions on her head from where I had slugged it. It didn't last long under John's frenzied beating. It turned out to be some kind of... Ah, oh, jeez, the best description would be mutant. It looked mostly like a woman, but with an enlarged jaw filled with needle-sharp teeth, a snub nose, deep-set eyes, and pointed, bat-like ears. Her hands were claws, and there was webbing under the arms, connected to the creature's ribcage. My best guess is it was what's known as a vampire thrall. According to David Geldstein in his book, vampires are able to transform humans into their servants, and one aspect of that is just what I described. Why a thrall was attacking people on a mine site is anyone's guess. I assume it was a Scooby-Doo situation, where a powerful vampire wanted to influence the share price or success of Imperial Iron, and so sent a minion to disrupt the mine. The bad news is Tony is still in hospital from his injuries. His armor stopped the initial impact and subsequent beating from killing him. There were bite marks on his arm plates and scratches on his breastplate, but it was the gash on the head that knocked him out. He hit his head on a rock when he was thrown to the ground. He's been unconscious in an induced coma for two days. John is not moving from his side. He's already said he and Tony are out. We went into this thinking we knew it would be dangerous, but it's something different when the fun and games end and someone ends up in hospital. I don't think I can continue on my own. I need to, but I don't think I can. I'm sitting here in the office alone, except for Mary, but she's out in reception. I thought it was a small office, too small, but without Tony and John, and especially John, seems to be way too much space. We got a cheap deal on an old terrace shop front in Northbridge, near the library. Out the front is a comic book store, and we're tucked around the back down a hall. Tony's awake now. The swelling in his brain has gone down. John is adamant they aren't coming back to exit plan. I think Tony is less convinced, oddly enough. He's been putting up with John being in the line of fire for years now, so I think he's more accepting of the risks. I would have thought it would be the other way around, but I think I get it. I'm still thinking about Heidi and and B. Oh man, I screwed that up so bad. I really let Heidi down, and and B. I know she's no good, but I think she needs to be saved. I'm not... She's in trouble, really. That's why. Like, yeah, I, I just... I want to save her. That's probably my guilt talking. Oh, something... Something happened today, though. Well, Tony is awake, and John is, John is happy, but he won't look me in the eye. Me? I'm going back to the office to tell Mary we don't need her services after all. I'm going to take down the cameras watching for Beatrice to... Oh, she doesn't have Heidi. She was just messing with me. 
Oh, I doubt she doesn't want to send the job seeker. Well, and speaking of which, I'll have to submit my resume to the recruiting agents and get back to a real job. Oh, crap and corruption. And when things go south, they go fast. Had it been me or John who was in the hospital, things would be different. Well, so... That was... That was strange. Uplifting. Good. Remember... I remember when... Jennifer McCormick was waking up on a parent's portico. I was sort of nervous. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I wasn't even sure she was going to wake up, to tell you the truth. I'm so glad she did. But the, the parents opened the door... And when they saw her, I could see their eyes. Something... Something happened to them in that moment. It was just... I used the term magical, but I need to use it carefully, of course. Because it wasn't true magic. Maybe it was true magic. But something happened, and I felt it too. I was... I was instrumental in bringing about, bringing about a better world, making place better. That's all I can say. And just, just to be back there, I came. There was this kid standing around, being picked on by these two young women, I suppose. Now they would have all been from high school, and I, I, I wasn't going to get involved. But I saw this guy. These girls were not being very nice. So I went in and interfered. I told them that, you know, hey, back off. And just, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting the, the girl to turn around. She turned around and she said, shut up, old man. This little dick knows he deserves it. And I was reminded of a little comic strip I saw once. And so I decided to quote it. I, was, I had, to be fair, I was actually kind of, maybe unconsciously using a bit of my social priming there. Or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was... Maybe some sort of leftover echo from Shilpa, from chewing her finger off. I said, and I think this is a useful lesson. In life, you can come across all sorts of situations and people. And you get to choose if you'll be cool about it, or if you'll be an arsehole. I said, don't be the arsehole. Now the girls didn't take this very well, of course. I don't know if I was expecting them to suddenly become very philosophical and look inwards on themselves and understand that they had a, a gaping hole in their own hearts that needed to be filled and, and this pain was, was what made them act out and try to hurt other people to make themselves feel well. But, yeah, basically they called me an arsehole and called me an old creep. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm not that smart. You do look a lot... I look smarter than me, and you've clearly got a very keen eye. I think I think you'd do really well, actually. That sort of approach totally took him by surprise. So I continued on. I, I said, "Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. You, you've clearly got this spark, this fire. It's it really motivates people, and it really really pushes people. You could be a great leader one day." And again, they, they sort of looked at each other and and weren't sure because how are you going to turn that around into an insult to me? I, they they couldn't. And as I said, I. I think maybe I was unconsciously sort of spiking them a little bit. I said, thanks. So I thanked them. 
and I, I walked off and escorted this this boy. I say he's a boy. I don't know what he would have been at sixteen or so, not like a, a child or anything crazy. But I, I sort of walked a little ways with him so that he didn't have to worry about being picked on anymore. And he was he was very thankful and grateful. And I could see when he was looking at me, he was kind of looking for something. So I explained to him this this thing. I said, all I did then, and the reason I was nice to them, is because that's what they wanted. You know, they pick they were picking on you because they feel unloved in some way. And because when they're watching someone else feel bad, they forget about their own problems. So, gave them what they wanted, rather than what they were looking for, they might not need to make people feel bad. And the boy, of course, he responded, he said, what? That sounds like something here from Tony Robbins or someone. I said, oh, no, I read it in this book by a guy called Ulysses Byford. Firstly, I think he's a bit touched on the brain, but some of the stuff he wrote seems to work like magic. I had to say that. I mean, come on. But the thing that really worked like magic for me was that he listened to me. This kid, I could see, he was, he was sucking that in. And I don't think he stopped feeling bad about being bullied, and, and I don't think I've gone ahead and solved all of his life's problems, but... I like to think, and, and the feeling I got was that he had gotten a new outlook, a new perspective on the problem he was facing, and that might, that might be all he needed. So I was looking at my own problem. I, need to, I just need a new perspective on it. It doesn't have to be the end. But anyway, this guy, this kid, he mentioned that he was going to meet his sister at, the, uh, at his rock climbing gym. And I thought to myself, you know, what better way to find a different perspective than at the top of a climbing wall? It also helped that... Uh, as I approached the gym, I, I could see his sister through the windows. So, yeah. Anyway, that's nice. I didn't quite use magic. Well, it does depend on your definition of magic, though, doesn't it? But I learned a couple of things. Firstly, that it felt really good to help this guy. He really needed it, and... I hope he tries to apply what I told him. The second thing I learnt, other than that rock climbing requires much better clothes than I had on, is that Sasha, who is uh, the sister, is a climbing instructor, and I suddenly find myself wanting to really learn rock climbing. So I'm going back to the rock room tomorrow with the right gear, and I'll get some instruction, and with any luck, a date. I don't want to quit exit plan, and I don't think it strictly requires Tony and John to be active members. I'll have to hire on contractors for the next job, but hopefully the next job is more like our first and less like our last. That brings me to the next item on my list. The cameras and B. We haven't had a hit yet, but the video search software is getting pretty good. It's down to recording either when it identifies a woman or a group large enough to contain a woman that can't otherwise be discerned. Yesterday's video comprised about an hour of footage all up. We're starting to get some target days that seem most likely, and in a couple more days, we'll have run through two weeks, which should be enough to find some sort of pattern. Once that's done, I'll go park myself in Maria Antony at opportune times and see what happens. It's a long shot, but I need to know. I need to know. Ah, okay. I'm ready to go to the rock room. I've got my skins on with my shorts over the top and a tank top to let my arms move freely. 
just quietly. I also like the way my arms look in this top. Well, that's enough vanity for the time being. Wish me luck. Ah, uh, where's Sasha? Oops, oop, don't make contact with the other instructor. He's good-looking and no doubt a nice enough guy, but I'm not here to meet a hunky rock-climbing man. Um, nope, not her either. Where is she? Ah, there she is. Ah, uh, Sasha, hi. Hi. I see you're all ready for a good sesh this time. You bet. Uh, which wall do you think? You're pretty fit. How about the Nutcracker? That doesn't sound very fun. It's just a name. Hardly anyone has actually cracked a nut climbing it. Well, it's been days since the last one anyway. Really? Maybe my first ascent should be a little more like that one. What? That's Sleazy Steve. He's easy and finishes too quick. Do you have a wall that doesn't have a, well, suggestive name? Uh, well, how about the bike? No, I guess that's a bit suggestive too. I mean, we call it that because everyone has a ride. Look, okay, I'll take the nutcracker. I've got two, so losing one shouldn't be a problem. Here, I'll get you rigged. Are you on the phone? No, I record most of my life as a journal. Oh, that's like that idea. Um, was it Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or one of those billionaire types had it? That you just record your whole life all the time? Yeah, sort of. Well, I found my life is hard for me to understand and believe at times, so I record these journals to be sure I know what's going on and, well, for future reference. You know, if I think something important happened during the day, I want to be able to go back to it. Right, up you go. Um, what's... What's the best approach? You look like you don't think you can do it. Stop thinking, start doing, and if you fail, I'll catch you. Right, I'll tell you, take my phone. Well, I've just got three words before I head off to bed. Got. A. Date. I just have to figure out how to keep exit plan running, and, and so many other things, but... I get to see Sasha again, which is very cool. It felt like my head was spinning, and the words Mary spoke were just confetti in the wind. I need an exit plan. Thank you for listening. Season 2 Binge Episode 2 will be available next week. This is my exit plan. Book 1 of Exit Plan is now available on Amazon. If you would like to help support the production of this and future works, please consider buying a copy or recommending it to a friend. Thank you to Hem Cleveland as Beatrice, Carly Nichols as Mary, David Kinsman as Tony, Mark Regan as John. To keep up to date, follow at Gravity Undone on Twitter or Facebook and consider checking out our new podcast, My Creativity, a podcast about creativity and being productive.